0: Scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 16 to chapter 46, verse 7. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver, and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob! Jacob! And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes." Then Jacob sent out, set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him his daughters and his son's daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that is much more than a story. It's an account, Father, of a family, just like our families. But, Father... It shows so much how you lead and you guide. It indeed shows the providence of God. And Father, as Pastor Paul comes now and as he breaks your word to us, help us to have ears that are attentive. Help us to have minds that grasp the concepts that are being presented. And help us, Father, to leave this place this morning determined more so than ever to follow in the direction that you have for us. We ask in your precious name, amen.
1: Mentioned earlier, if you're visiting with us, uh, welcome. And uh, we are in the series on the generations of Jacob, uh, one of the stories that uh, is contained for us in the book of uh, Genesis, as you've read. Some of us here have had the experience of uh, getting ready to go on a journey or a trip. And in most cases, I think as we plan or prepare to go on these journeys. We have a tendency to overpack. We have a tendency to think that we're going to need this, or we're going to need that, but it's a good exercise, I think, to go through with yourself as you begin to lay out your things there to say, well, will I really need this? Or what do I actually need for this trip uh, that I'm going on? Jacob is about to go on a trip. He's about to go on a journey. In fact, it's his last journey. He's going from Canaan Uh, down to Israel, and he will die, or in Egypt, and he's going to die in Egypt. Uh, He was going, though, with a little bit of sparkle in his eye and a little bit of joy, because he was going to meet his son, who he had thought was dead, and 22 years ago, he had thought he had lost him. But as he was going down there, we understand, I think, that Jacob always considered himself on a journey, or as a pilgrim. In fact, you can read in Hebrews chapter 11 about his um, grandfather and his father, and they, too, always thought of themselves as pilgrims or as sojourners living in the land of this earth. They dwelt in tents, they wandered around, they traveled around, and they even confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, that this earth was not their home. They had always embraced a pilgrim kind of life, a journey mentality in life. And so Jacob's journey as he's headed from Canaan to Egypt is maybe not as distant from yours and mine as we might think. Because we're no different. We are also pilgrims on a journey. This earth is not our permanent home. We are headed to an eternal home, a new heaven and a new earth. And so as we think about Jacob going on this journey, on this pilgrim journey, what kind of things did he need for that trip? What would God provide him Uh, for that journey from Canaan down to Egypt. Uh, Similarly, what kind of provisions does God give to you and I, his children, his disciples, as we walk with him on this earth, knowing that this earth is not our home, that our roots are placed, they're being set down in heaven, and the new heaven, and the new earth, and not on this earth? What does God provide for us? I want to look at three things that uh, come out of various words or ideas in this text to help us as we consider that and then the first is assurance it's the assurance of provisions for our way you might notice as uh, this was read in the fir- last part of chapter 45 verses 16 to 28 that the thir- first thing that God provides is assurance of his provision along the way and when we get to our destination as he did with Jacob After all, it was going to take some convincing to Jacob to pull up roots, to gather all of his family, all of his animal, all of his household servants, everything that he had, and to go down to Egypt. No small undertaking at the best of times. But you see how time and time again in this text, God gives him assurance of provision for along the way and for the destination. For example, Joseph comes to his brother's. And he says to them, hurry, go up to my father and say to him, come down to me in Egypt. Don't tarry, for there I will provide for you. The promise or the assurance of provision when Jacob came with all of the household into Egypt. And Pharaoh adds uh, force to the words of Jacob by saying, you need to command your brothers to say this to your father. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat of the fat of the land. The best of all of Egypt is yours. And then note, it says, And Pharaoh gave them provisions for the journey. Provisions for the journey. And the best of the land provided for them when they arrived in Egypt. Again, assurance of provision on arrival, and assurance of provision for the journey. And so the stories were told to Jacob when the boys returned home to him. Uh, the Jake, Joseph is alive, and uh, one by one, these wagons that were full and overflowing with all the riches of Egypt were, were carted before Jacob, and he saw with his own eyes. He had heard with his own ears, now he saw with his own eyes. And then he has the promises that come to him through Joseph and through Pharaoh. Come to Egypt, and I will give you the best of the land. And after all of these assurances, after all that he had heard and all that he saw, notice his words, it is enough. And Joseph, my son is still alive. I will go down and see him before I die. That phrase is just beautiful words, it is enough. It's like the journey of faith. We, We don't see all things, but God gives us enough to convinces us of a reasonable faith. He demonstrates his provision for us in ways that are sufficient for us to say, it is enough. I will go with him. I will enter in to this journey. That's what God does for you and I, is it not? He's given us such a great assurance of what awaits us on the other side, so to speak, or when we go to heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. We're told about what kind of bodies that we're going to have. We are told about the new lands that are going to be there, the new heaven and the new earth. We're told about great reunions as the dead in Christ will be raised and we will be joined with them. And what a reunion it will be. We are told that we are going to see Jesus and we're going to be like him because we will see him. We're going to see our God and our Father and he's going to be with us. And it says even further than that eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has prepared or laid up for us or provided for us. This inheritance that he has said is there for us has been secured through the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is given to us and who lives in us and dwells in us and convinces us of our future provision. And through Christ, do we not have provision of a place prepared for us? I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to take you there so that you might be with me. And we have the provision of a great banquet that's coming, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Incredible provision that is guaranteed for us when we arrive to be with our Lord and Savior and our Heavenly Father. But what about along the way? What about God's provision for us as we journey towards that destination? Are you assured that you're going to not be left sort of waiting halfway home wanting halfway home there are so many evidences of god's provision and of god's priorities throughout the text that will ensure our sure arrival seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be gathered given unto you what are all these things well they are things like homes and clothes and food they'll all be given to you god confirms in his word that he has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness To strengthen us for our journey and along the way he says he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Have you been a recipient of the riches of God's glory? See Pharaoh had sent out just a sample of the riches of Egypt. They overflowed those 12 wagons. And a few hundred years later, Pharaoh again or the Egyptians again would enrich the Israelites as they now left as this vast multitude going to the promised land. And they were enriched by the Egyptians as they left on their way. Do we really understand together that this world is God's and everything in it? That everything, everywhere that everyone has is God's and it belongs to him? Do you not think he is able to provide you with what you need for a long-the-way journey to heaven? Have you not seen the provision of the Lord in your life and the goodness of God in your life already? I wonder, do we look at our homes? Do we look at our cars? Do we look at our clothes? Do we look at our fridges, our freezers? Do we look at our bank accounts? Do we look at our families and see God's provision? Or do we attribute it to our hard work? and our smarts, and our abilities. Those are all tokens of the provision of God for our along-the-way journey, not idols that we are to worship. In there we see the present provision of God for our journey. We sang, part of great is thy faithfulness, that line is so um, important for us to dwell on and think of. All I have needed, your hand is provided. Or John Newton describes it in amazing grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It says, grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. Beloved, I want you to be assured, and if you're considering a relationship with God through Christ, if you're wrestling with the outsides of what it means to be a Christian or to be a disciple, I want you to be assured that God will provide for you. He will not call you and then abandon you. He will not set you out on a destination and leave you alone. He is able to provide from the most amazing resources for everything that you need for their journey. Is there any reason why any of us can't say with Jacob, it is enough, I will go. So God has assured us of his provision both for the journey And for our destination the second thing that we see is in verses um, chapter 46 in particular verses 3 and 4 it's the assurance of his of his presence he provides us with his presence as he did Jacob so many years ago in verse 3 and 4 he says then he said God said I am God the God of your father do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. So Jacob, as he said, it is enough. He says, I'm going to go. So he leaves Hebron and he makes it to Beersheba. Beersheba is on the southernmost boundary of the land of Canaan. It's like us maybe going down to Victoria and we know that Victoria is sort of the southernmost tip of Vancouver Island. Once we leave Vancouver Island or Victoria and head down south, we are now leaving the country of Canada and we're entering into a new country. This is much like uh, it was for Jacob. As he came to Beersheba, he knew he was about to leave the land of Canaan, head south, a little southwest, and he'd find himself in the eastern Nile. Oh, he knew that what was awaiting him was a reunion with his son, and he looked forward to that. But there must have been a little bit of hesitation in his heart as he was told, go down to Egypt. He was told to leave a land that that had been given to him, a land that he had lived in for many, many years now. To leave there and go to Egypt, he might have recalled how his grandfather Abraham had foolishly left Canaan and gone down to Egypt and got into a world of trouble and then he might have recalled how his own father had been told by God, do not go down to Egypt. And so all of a sudden he's been summoning to Egypt, and he says, I want to be with my son, but my son is not the important, most important thing in my life. God's will is the most important thing in my life. And so he sacrifices and he prays and he worships. And God assures him that it is he that is calling him to Egypt. And the Lord says to him, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will go with you. It's the promise of God's presence. One of my favorite Old Testament commentators noted that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were men who had received the promise of God. And the promise is basically fourfold to them. The first, it involved the people. You read through the old Genesis in particular, and you find this repeated again and again. I will make you a great nation. I will multiply your seed. I will increase your descendants. It's a, it's, the promise involved an incredible increase in their people. It also involved a place. I will give you this land. Canaan, I will give to you and your descendants. It involved a program. In you, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Blessed. Through you will come blessing to the whole peoples of the earth. And we've already seen this in Joseph as God raised him up to be the second in command of Egypt. And how through Joseph, all the peoples of the world were blessed as they were provided for through the famine. And the fourth part of the promise was presence. Just as Jacob had heard back in Genesis 28 when earlier he was fleeing from the land because his brother wanted to kill him. And he was going back to his uncle. There the Lord said to him, I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. You see, for me, probably the most important part of that fourfold promise, the core of that promise is the promise of God's presence for us in this journey that he's called us to. I will go down with you. I will bring you up. That's what we need for the journey, is it not? You see, one of the fascinating things to me is that Jacob is in a new circumstance now. He's in a new situation, and he's at a new point of departure. And it's in this that the living God comes to reassure him, not with some fresh truth, not with some new revelation, but with an old truth that had already sustained Jacob, and he brings it forward again into his life, and he reiterates it for him. God takes an old word and he re-emphasizes it for a fresh situation, giving it new and fresh power. And I suspect it's the same truth that's behind some of the hymns that we sing, for example. I don't think we just sing, Great is thy faithfulness for nostalgia's sake, although there might be there. But it's a fresh truth that as we sing it again and again, we're assured in new situations and in new ways of God's faithfulness. It's an old truth applied to new situations. Do we not need to be reminded again and again of God's faithfulness? And what about a grace, an amazing grace? It's an old truth, but don't we need fresh grace in our lives to remind us and and to encourage us along the way that it's not by our works, it's not by our efforts, but it's by the grace of God. And when we see the grace of God, do we not articulate once again that is amazing grace? These are old truths, but they're applied in fresh situations. So it is with the presence of God. We find ourselves at a new crossroad, at a new point of departure. And I'm so glad that God doesn't, at those points, give me some new truth that I've got to try and wrap my head around, some new idea, some new theology that's never been heard of. But he takes an old truth that I've wrestled with, but he plants it in a new situation. And he says, now take that with you as Assurance. This is a truth that you and I need to cling to. As God's people in our journey, I will go with you. The promise of the personal presence of the invisible God. Kathy will say to me on occasion, I don't know, once a year or sometimes rarer than that, rarer than that, but she'll say to me, and we'll be driving in the car or somebody, says, I miss my mom or I miss my dad. Uh, Harold and Evelyn were great people. I wish you could all have known them. A lot of fun to be around. Um, Both of them died many, many years ago. And I'm coming to realize, and I I hope this is true, I'll find out this afternoon, but I'm coming to realize that when Kathy says that phrase, I, I don't think she's necessarily thinking of a dinner her mom made. I'm not sure that she's maybe thinking about uh, maybe spending some time with her dad in a particular situation or an object or something that they had given to her. I think it's just their presence. I, I just wish my mom was here, or "I wish my dad was here." This is, this is kind of like this promise of the presence of God. Few things matter in our lives more than the realization and the assurance of the presence of god i will go down with you there's no greater need i'm convinced of for the child of god on our journey than the reassurance of the personal presence of the invisible god in our lives i'm not sure what jacob was thinking at this point i can surmise i'm not sure what circumstances were weighing on him at this point of Departure. You and I might find ourselves in situations that we would rather not be, in circumstances that we don't entirely understand as we're on this journey. But where we are doesn't matter so much as who is with us. We have a God who says, I will go down with you. And when God is with us, we have all that matters. So we have the assurance of his provision we have the assurance of his presence. And finally, we have this incredible word of encouragement. And you say, Well, where do you find that? Well, I was kind to Harvey, and I didn't ask him to read verses 8 to 27 of chapter 46. Now, these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Paulu, Hezron, and Carmi and on and on these names go and some of you might think well what do you do when you come to a list of names in the scripture I wonder because some of you have told me you said I'm reading ahead Paul because I the story I love the story and I just want to kind of know what's coming I wonder how many of you who are doing that came to verse 8 read the first line and said oh where does the story pick up and found your way to verse 28 said oh there it is and off you go in verse 28 I am finding though that no lists in scripture are unhelpful in fact we know that it says all scripture is inspired by god and profitable and every time i read these lists now i discipline myself not to skip over them and i have been amazed at the little truths and the significance that have been planted in those lists for our profit and for our good i understand they're not easy reading But here we come to this list, and the first thing that fascinates me, it says, And these are the names of the descendants of Israel. You see, there's a hint already there. There's a hint of the promise, he will say, and the sons of Jacob. But he's now focusing on Israel. Why Israel at this particular point? Because God said to him at a different point, Your name is Jacob. Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called him Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. Now we get to this end of this list, and what do we read? We read that there came 70 into Egypt. We know that there are more than that, because... The wives of the sons aren't mentioned. Most of the daughters aren't mentioned. There's names that we know are uh, left off the list. And we know that there were household servants. So most people suspect there was two to three hundred people that came that were part of Jacob's family that left Canaan and came down uh, to Egypt. So what point is being made by this list of names? Well, so many years after this, When the people of Israel leave Egypt, and they're now in the desert, and Moses is preaching a sermon to them, he says this to them in Deuteronomy 10.22. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heavens. Also in Deuteronomy 26, verse 5, in a certain worship situation, the worshiper was to make this response to the Lord as he was worshiping the Lord in response to that situation. A wandering Aramean was my father. He went down into Egypt and he sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty, populous. See, do you see the point that he's making here? Do you you see the point of 70 people went down to Egypt. It's a small number. I grant that. But compared to what the Lord would later do, and also what he had earlier done, it was a lot more than 12. The last time that we had a numbering of Jacob's sons, there was 12. And that's a lot more than one when God made his original promise to Abraham that I will multiply your descendants more than the sands of the sea. Or do you see the stars? You won't be able to count them. So we've gone from one to 12, and now we're at 70. This is God's way, I believe, of of at least saying to us, whether Jacob caught it or not, I don't know, but it's God's way of reminding us, I am faithful to my word. My promises will never fail. Oh, we've, we've got a ways yet to get there, but this is some along the way encouragement so that you know that my word will never come back void and empty and that my promises are sure and true. He moves in mysterious ways. I think of this in a lot of different instances. One of the ways I think of it is you come to that verse in Philippians 1.6 where Paul says, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Do you see little glimpses of God's work in your life as you're on your way to perfection? I'm thankful that I see the odd glimpse. I wish I saw more glimpses and I wish there was greater progress. But I look ahead and I realize, whoa, oh, wow, there's a lot that still needs to be done. But I look back and I say, oh, wow, God, you have done a lot in my life. There's little encouragements, little glimpses that God's promise of perfecting his work in my life is actually being fulfilled. And so this number 70 is along the way encouragement. You don't see the end, but you see progress is being made. And we're reminded that God is a God who keeps his promises. Back in um, March, Kathy and I drove my son's truck up to Whitehorse. It's a long way. It's like 23, 2400 kilometers. As we left Parksville, we made our way across the ferry and ended up in Chilliwack. And we had kind of a route mapped up of, of how we would get to Whitehorse. And we knew we were making progress along the way because every once in a while we'd hit a town and say, oh yeah, that town is on our route. And so we'd know, oh, we're, we're a bit closer to Whitehorse. Or we'd drive and you'd see a mileage marker. And the mileage marker was both encouraging and discouraging. As you realized, whoa, we've come a long way. And you're like, oh, we got a long way to go. And it was fascinating to me that we didn't even see a sign for Whitehorse until after Prince George. And, but these were little along the way encouragements to us to say you're in the right direction. You're going to get to Whitehorse. It's a long way away. But look at how far you've come so we come to a list of names like this it's not a massive list of names and this isn't a huge hit yourself over the side of the head theological point but it's a quiet way of reminding you and I that God is still working out his promises that he is faithful that he has not forgotten one twelve seventy a host that cannot be counted I was thinking of this, reading a story from John Bunyan. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you really need to read it. it. Next to the Bible, I think it's one of the best books you can read to help you in your Christian faith. You can read it to your kids. Um, it's just a brilliant book. But not long into his journey, um, Pilgrim comes to the hill difficulty. difficulty. He comes to the hill difficulty, and as he gets there, uh, he notices that there's also two paths, though, that go around the hill, broad paths, big paths. One path, though, leads to destruction. The other path leads to um, uh, death. But right up the middle is the narrow path, and it goes right up hill difficulty. And after drinking from a spring of pure water that's at the bottom of the hill, God's nourishment, God's provision for us, Pilgrim starts up hill difficulty. And Bunyan observes as he's going up this hill as he started. He says, and as he did, he went from running to going and from going to clambering on his hands and knees because of the steepness of the place. Now about midway at the top of the hill was a pleasant arbor made by the Lord of the hill for refreshing of weary travelers. And when Christian got there, he sat down to rest. There are so many difficulties on this journey, aren't there? up this hill difficulty but god in his mercy provides for you and i along the way encouragement place of temporary refreshment where we can get rest and refreshed before we continue on our journey uphill difficulty so to speak see the mistake is when we interpret the arbor as a place of lodging rather than a place of temporary rest but we're still not at the top of the hill God has provided us along the way encouragement. I think this is what the Bible does for us. This is glimpses of how God helps us on our journey, the things that we need. We need assurance of his provision. We need reminders of his presence, and we need along the way encouragement. I think sometimes um, as a pastor, I find myself in situations that I just don't know what to say. The circumstances of somebody's life are so awful they're so dark they're so difficult I'm sure you do too as you talk with friends and as you wrestle with other Christian brothers and sisters and it sometimes you just don't know what to say I think sometimes one of the things though that we can do is pray that God would give them just a glimpse of his goodness a glimpse of his mercy along the way encouragement that might help them and sustain them as they're on their journey towards heaven so that they will know that God hasn't let go of them. So what do we need for the journey? We need assurance of God's provision both for the journey and upon our arrival. We need a reminder that he will go with us, never leave us or abandon us and we need along the way encouragement to remind us that God will refresh us, that God's promises haven't failed, that every one of his promises will be fully realized at some point in history. Father, I thank you for your word, for its encouragement to us, for how the life of Jacob guides us and directs us and informs us even in our own lives now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.